All right, well, um, we're going to go ahead and get started. And uh, if anybody else decides to join us, we'll let them come on in and get started. Uh, just before I uh, get into um, uh, our lesson for tonight, uh, there's a clipboard going around uh, that I would like for you to write your name. It could be family uh, groups. It doesn't have to be each individual, but write your name and your email on there. Um, uh, what I'm going to do is, is utilize that. I'm not going to send you a bunch of parenting spam, but I will send you resources that you can utilize or that maybe I'm going to reference in the lessons. And then also, uh, one of the things, are, there are some take-home like homework things that I would like for you to have. And I didn't print them out tonight because I wanted to see who all was going to be here. And so um, I can email that to you uh, later tonight, uh, all that information. So if you will, please write your information down and we'll be uh, good to go from there. But uh, let's do what I tell the kids is always most important to start with, and that's pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege that you have called each one of us to, um, whether right now or uh, whether it's something that we have done in the past or whether it is something you are preparing us even now for the future, and that is parenting. Uh, thank you for the blessing of children uh, for the privilege that, that we have to call them our own, and yet, Lord, we know that they are yours, and you've entrusted their care to us. So, Father, I pray that you would um, help each one of us to be faithful to that task, uh, to prepare our hearts and minds to be sanctified by the truth, uh, knowing that that is where we receive all things for life and godliness, and especially in this realm of parenting. And um, we ask uh, for your help right now. I ask for help. Uh, to be clear and to uh, speak what you uh, desire for us to know. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, for those of you, I think everybody in here knows who I am. Um, I'm Matt St. Clair, Matthew St. Clair. Um, I am married. Uh, my wife Jackie is in here. She's uh, here for multiple reasons. Uh, one, mainly to just make sure that I'm being completely honest and she can, she can check uh, everything. Mark was joking, but in all seriousness, that is, um, she, she has the freedom to do that tonight um, and the rest of the nights to make sure that what I'm saying is, is uh, held up even at home in our parenting. And so uh, we have four children. Um, uh, our children are, um, Jackie and I have been married 15 years. Uh, we have four children. Addison, she's nine years old. Everly is seven. Alethea is four and Oliver's too. And so uh, we have experienced a few things thus far, but in no way, as Pastor Farrell uh, was saying, uh, does that make me an expert? And um, I will say that very clearly. Ad uh, Jackie, last night, as I'm sitting there just thinking through this stuff, ruminating, uh, stewing on it, and she says, uh, so are you, because uh, we were dealing with children uh, just prior to this at bedtime and she said so you're qualified to teach this class and I said absolutely not <laughs> and I said but the word of God gives us everything that we need for this and he is beginning he has been been and is sanctifying me to enable me to do this and this is a gift of the Lord that the elders here the men would entrust this to me to be able to teach this to you all because just as any sermon is for for the men uh, you have to ingest and digest that material and uh, prepare yourself uh, before you can even share these truths with others. And so um, this is a, a wonderful blessing for me to be able to glean uh, these truths um, uh, to be able to share with you. Well, uh, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who give, gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And that is, that is really what we are going to do. Uh, we come to parenting and we say, well, what in the world am I doing with this living being in my arms? How am I to handle this child? What am I to do? And uh, just for those of you that um, may be curious in your minds, uh, is this something that uh, is for a newborn? Is this something for I desire to have children, maybe not yet married? One day I would like to have uh, children and to raise them, is this for people that are, uh, have teenagers in the home? Um, well, let me just say, this is a general um, spattering of truths from Scripture that will be applicable to all of the age ranges, and especially for those of you that um, have not yet begun on this journey of parenting. 
But there's much blessing that comes from spending any amount of time in discussing this topic. And parenting can be an intimidating task, and children are there right in your face. It's not one of these things you can kind of put off. You need to deal with the situations in the moment. And I'm presupposing that uh, you do indeed share uh, and care for your children or others or your future children. And you acknowledge that the burden and the responsibility for parenting, and indeed it is waiting, it is a weighty proposition. But we're going to talk about the goal of parenting and of being a responsible parent. But indeed, whatever you do or don't do with your children, um, that will influence them for life, whether you live up to those responsibilities or not. So during these next few weeks, there will be uh, merely a reflection that although parenting is surprisingly straightforward, it's not an easy task if for no other reasons that um, so much here is for us to ponder. So the material that we're going to cover um, was developed actually by three pastors that some of you uh, may be familiar with or probably have heard of at some point uh, in your own uh, lives and ministry here. Uh, two are pastors that teach and lead in the Expositor Seminary. So when I say Parenting for Life, it is actually a study that was created by these men. Uh, the first two men uh, that are connected with Expositors are Carrie Hardy and Jerry Ragg. And the other you possibly heard speak at one of our recent Truth and Light conferences, and that's Stuart Scott. So these three men were tasked or given this opportunity to put together uh, this information. And so, again, as I say, I'm not an expert on parenting, but we know a lot of people, and their knowledge base is very deep and very wide. And the Lord has given us everything in his word, and these men have done a tremendous job of equipping and preparing this. Also... Uh, the material is also related to one of John MacArthur's books, um, Successful Christian Parenting, which was written just about the same time that the Parenting for Life material uh, was put together. And it's really a great complement to the material, and I've included uh, in the lessons um, some key passages and other uh, things from uh, the book. If uh, you've never seen the book, this is a uh, one edition of the book. There's several editions of the book, but I would recommend anyone to uh, to get this book. Uh, also, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be throwing, well, not throwing books at you, but I will be uh, throwing up, showing you a lot of books that I would recommend for you to read that are helpful uh, resources that are going to coincide with a lot of what we are teaching. And uh, that is something that uh, I constantly tell people, and I have Young people come into the ministry here, and they're saying, hey, I want to serve in children's ministry. Hey, I'm interested in preparing for life because I one day hope and desire to have children. What would you recommend that I do and I read? And so over the last several years especially, I've just been compiling all kinds of books and resources that have been helpful to me and, and Jackie and to other people and getting recommendations. And we are blessed to be in a church where there's a lot of um, – uh, people that have given a lot of time and attention to this specific uh, topic. Uh, before I go any further, I actually want to point out something. Uh, uh, actually, that's a course of study. But during our time of teaching, you're going to hear me talk a lot. And that's not because I like to talk a lot. That is simply because there is a lot of information to share. And I know we have 11 weeks to be able to go through this. But this is parenting. This is dealing with a child. This is dealing with uh, your children and other people's children. Um, so what I'm going to ask is that if you have questions, particular questions, as we go through this series, what I would like for you to do, it can be in the moment. I'm completely fine with you texting while I am teaching, as long as it's for this purpose. Um, but you can text this number, 434-515. You guys can read. So um, you can text this number. And it will go directly to my email, and I will have that question in my email, and I'll be able to follow up either this week or I can get somebody else to follow up. As uh, Dr. Hager likes to say, I'll get my people to answer you later. And um, uh, Cindy, I'm not going to call on you to answer the emails, though. So, um, But if you do have uh, questions, please do not hesitate in the moment just to text that. And that will go directly to me, and I will answer your questions. Um, it could be on anything regarding parenting or child rearing or development or anything regarding the things that we're going to be talking about uh, in the topics. If you want to text it and say, Matt, what's your favorite kind of pizza? 
I probably won't give you that much time, but okay. All right. All that, all that said, um, you're going to want to uh, see some um, uh, of the material that uh, we're going to share. One of the things that I'm going to send you are actually a, or I'll give you next week, is actually a list of a, or a, a section of appendices that goes along with this study. And there's about 15 uh, different uh, articles and write-ups that uh, you're going to have the opportunity to read, and it's going to coincide with the homework uh, that I'm going to give you. And, yes, I just said you're going to have homework. And uh, I hope that the whole pers- purpose of you here, being here is for you to grow and to grow in the knowledge and understanding of this topic. And so part of that is you are going to have homework. Uh, so that's one reason also why I'm getting your email so I can send you that info. But these uh, appendices are tremendously helpful in especially a lot of the, uh, the topics that we're going to cover tonight. And there's one that you're already going to need to read after tonight for this week's homework. So I'll send that, share that to you or with you uh, tonight as well. Each lesson will also have a section titled Pondering the Principles, and that's what I'm going to send you. That's your homework. But I really want to encourage you either individually or if not, um, if you're not married or as a couple, if you want to do this, to go through these uh, questions and to work through them uh, this week and then the weeks to come. And you can, uh, you can actually read along through those appendices as the homework tells you. But this class is going to focus on the principles of parenting, not so much the, the practice of parenting. Or better yet, we're not going to present a list of how-to or a how-to manual of parenting lessons. Uh, one through three um, of these lessons really are foundational and are focusing on uh, the principles given, um, given to you throughout this class. And we're going to trust the Lord that... Um, your personal application of these principles will be um, uh, through a tremendous amount of, of practical advice that will be given, and uh, you yourselves are basically going to develop your own how to use your own family, um, how to use uh, these, these guides for your own family uh, time and, and uh, what time that you give uh, from the examples that are going to be given. So, uh, I will share observations, I will share practical applications, but most importantly, all of this is going to be uh, coming from uh, the principles of Scripture. So we're going to start today uh, with uh, the parents' priorities, and in, um, then in two weeks, uh, I'll show you the, the course overview. These are, this is the overview for, for our study, the parents' priorities, and then in, in weeks two and three, we'll talk about the parents' goals and then the parents' challenge. And then starting in week uh, four, there will be a, a two-part lesson on the parents' role as a disciplinarian. So we go from the parents' priorities, goals, and challenges, then to it rolls into the first um, uh, lesson of disciplinarian, and then another two weeks on the parent as teacher, followed up by the parent as an encourager. And then last lesson is the parent as an evangelist, and we'll talk about the reward as a parent in that role as evangelists. So with that, we're going to jump right in. And um, again, as I said, as you listen, uh, you can text questions to me um, regarding um, uh, any of these things that we're studying. So as we begin our study together, uh, these two introductory points, and and these are really presuppositions, and the, the first one we will have is that The Bible provides teaching that is comprehensive. So parenting can't be separated from any aspect of the whole counsel of God. It's really impractical and incomplete to talk about uh, the practical how-tos of parenting apart from the character of God and the nature of man's uh, end um, and salvation and sanctification, the duty of parents, etc., and when we look to reports of Christian families, we, we see much of the same problems in non-Christian neighbors. And really, the issue still is parents are parenting, and get this, listen, parents are parenting not from essential biblical principles, but on non-essential, non-biblical, or extra-biblical matters. And they're more concerned with pragmatic issues that they present lists of rules, of do's and don'ts, how to use uh, uh, these things, and we desperately need to return back to the basic principles of parenting. 
parenting is just as any other Christian aspect of life, such as being at work in relationships, the church life, etc. So except we generally don't take several weeks of instruction for those areas, but there are, again, some common principles that apply to whatever situation God has put you in, and you must look at God's truth and his work in their entire lives. So in other words, parenting is not an entity unto itself. It's not a hub. It's, it's not the hub of life. It's part of your life as a Christian, and life with kids will certainly take up a lot of time. However, your priorities don't revolve around your parenting, and the parents' priorities are presented in this lesson as a, as a series of commitments. And the first commitment that you're going to see is a commitment to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The first commitment which must be made in order to establish being a biblical parent is a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I've heard it said, and I love this, so I hope you write this down, you are no better a parent than you are a spouse, than you are a child of God. You are no better a parent than you are a spouse then you are a child of God. The subject of the king, the slave of the master, your, your parenting, your influence on your children begins with you and more specifically with your relationship with Christ. And then it, it, it even goes to um, ultimately like the Ten Commandments would, would have that as, as nothing else can have jurisdiction, jurisdiction over the believer, no idols, no commitments, these things must include all areas of your life without exception. Matthew 22, starting at verse 37, talks about this intensity and that the love to, uh, to look to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, meaning total abandonment. So the Lord is to be the center of your thoughts. The Lord is to be the center of your thoughts, your actions. And the question you must ask yourselves are, are you living a Christ-centered life? So there's a variety of illustrations from Scripture that we're going to look at. That one uh, that we're specifically going to look at tonight is in Luke chapter 10 about Mary and Martha. And this, uh, with this understanding of having a Christ-centered life and not allowing other things to distract us or to consume our thoughts and our, our direction. Well, Luke chapter 10 illustrates devotion versus being distracted. Both, uh, both of these were, were busy worship, and all of the other things of life is a busy busyness. But Mary was busy about the right thing. So Luke 10, beginning at verse 38, says, Now as they were on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she, she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with, with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chose the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And the key phrase there is the one thing that is necessary. And in contrast to Martha, we are, we are not to be busy and bothered by life to the exclusion of that one thing. If you do, it will lead to family conflict. Did you hear that? If you do this, it will lead to family conflict. Now, there are many things that can destruct us in our family life. They can be sports, school, recreation, hobbies, social media, your actual work, housework, home improvement, and even, in, even church itself. And these things, and, um, at the end, are not necessarily a bad thing themselves, but even good things can get in the way of the best thing. The one thing that uh, Jesus tells Martha is that she was allowing herself to be bothered, to be anxious, and to be troubled. She was letting a seemingly good thing, cleaning the house for the Lord. And be honest with yourselves, if you knew the Lord was coming to your house, 
you would be frantically, furiously trying to clean the house or have somebody do it for you. But she was letting cleaning the house for the Lord get in the way of the one thing that was most important. So Martha's obsession with many things was leading her to have strife with her sister, Martha. Was a, with her sister. And Martha was admonished by the Lord to get this one thing right, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his words. And now there are three things that I want to look at with you about Mary's focus. And the first thing is, is, is the person of her attention. The person of her attention. <clears throat> and the first thing is the person of her attention, which was obviously the Lord Jesus. And now even though we've made much of the importance of parenting based on a set of biblical principles, even more than these principles, Christianity should be seen as a person to follow. We are to lean on Jesus and certainly not human teaching or our own opinion or a set of do's and don'ts. In Matthew 15, 8 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so Martha was leading what she thought was the thing to do at the time. Now, look at Mary's posture. The posture of her tension says that she was seated at the feet of Jesus. And we use that term today. Uh, you might have in college a set at the feet of a famous professor or Paul in Acts 22 that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. So Mary is seen at the feet of Jesus ready to receive, ready to submit to what Christ was going to say for us, obviously, we literally don't have Jesus in front of him or in front of us, but we are to expose ourselves to receive God's word and then submit and obey. So that word, uh, to that word, we read, Mary is in a humble posture. Christ, the word, is more important than ourselves. That's the humble that we're looking for. That's the humble that we're looking at, the humility. So we think that we realize that the word is more important than ourselves. We go to a church where the word is priority. It is sufficient for all. It is authoritative. We understand its importance. But oftentimes, we, we don't allow ourselves to realize that it is more important than ourselves. Or at least maybe that's just me. I think that we realize that it's more important than ourselves, but our own thoughts, our own feelings, that's going to come up in our marriage and our parenting, that, that we're going to think what's right for the moment, and that's not it. You know, Each one of us are going to be in the moment, and we're going to think, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to respond, because this is what I'm feeling, or this is what I'm thinking, or this is what my mom and dad did, or this is what so-and-so's parents did, or this is what Nathan just told me last week, so this is really what I need to do, because he got an outcome that was justifiable, and it was good, so I should probably do that. Well, it's not about what we think or what we feel. What do we know the truth tells us? It's what you read in Scripture, and we can see elsewhere in Scripture where Mary fell at the feet of Jesus, eager to do what he says. So the point is to be attentive to his word and to not be distracted. Be attentive to his word and not be distracted. And the third thing is the priority of her attention. Verse 39. She was obviously listening to his word, which Jesus said was more important than serving him as Martha was busy about doing. And our main priority is a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this should be seen as taken as a priority to his word. We should have a high view of scripture. And the question is, does your life reflect this? So the point is, the choice isn't between serving and listening. The point is listening and paying attention, as Mary did, which leads to the action and the doing, this and doing the serving. So you might be saying to yourself, "Is this just another read your Bible sermon?" 
It's just as another uh, Matt's trying to guilt me into, hey, I need to read my Bible more. I need to do these things that, that every good Christian is supposed to do. Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> I hope you're not surprised that a teacher here at TBC is going to encourage you and instruct you to read your Bible. But remember our presuppositions. What were those? That by the Bible provides teaching that is comprehensive. And second, Parents must look at God's truth and his work in their entire lives. Again, parenting isn't an entity unto itself. Successful parenting will flow out of you paying attention and obeying the word of God, paying attention to and obeying the word of God. So we should be doing that one thing, whether we are, our spouse, whether we are spouses, whether we are parents, no matter who we are. We should not be known for biblical ignorance friends. Biblical ignorance is at the center of family chaos, and you really can't walk carefully and wisely if you don't know his will through his word. You cannot walk. What did I say? You cannot really walk carefully and wisely if you don't know his will through his word. And friends, if you come and you're, and you're talking to one of the men and you're sharing with them that things are falling apart, things are crumbling, some of the first things that they're going to ask you, because these are wise, good shepherds, they're going to say, what is your prayer life like? What is your time in the word like? What is your devotion to the local church? All of it is going to go back to these basic principles. And this is really where we are, even with parenting. Biblical ignorance is at the center of family chaos. A right biblical a right um, right behind biblical ignorance is biblical indifference. And then really right outside of that is disobedience. Biblical ignorance, then biblical indifference, and then outright disobedience. But it starts with biblical ignorance, lacking depth and real insight into God's word. Now, if we're, we're not digging into God in his nature, in his character, his will, his mind, and, and parents that are described as such, of course, are hypocritical if they say they're Christian parents and they're falsely propping up their marriage and saying that they're Christians on the one hand, but have no evidence of drawing on God's word and living it out um, with every way of their life. If they're unwilling to live it out in their lives, then there is that hypocrisy that is, that is settling in. So maybe uh, what are some helpful things uh, for us to, to consider? There's, there's no manual on marriage and parenting. One pastor said, said this, you need God with you, Emmanuel, not a manual on parenting. And so we must set an example for our children in doing this, as we especially dads, you especially dads. It's more important really than what you provide as a dad being committed to that one thing. So maybe what are some helpful things? Ways to do this in, uh, within the life of your family. Well, personally, you should affect your, uh, this should affect your own life with God's word. Be shaped by it. That means reading his word daily, pondering it, memorizing it, understanding its meaning. And then, of course, it's, it's um, in obeying God's word. And so you need to know God's word. You need to ponder the principles of what you read. And then secondly would be family Bible times. And this is something that has been really convicting to me trying to figure out the right plan and the balance for our lives, you know, trying to realize that I don't have to be Pastor Farrell in my family devotion times, uh, that I come up with my five-point expositional sermon before my kids and say, children, sit down, it's time for us to sing and to go through this. Um, that's not the way it is at our home. But you choose what is going to work well for you, but do that and be consistent. Do that and be consistent. It doesn't mean you just come in and say, hey, guys, Jesus loves me, and let's sing the song, and then we're done. But 
it's not also something that you're thinking, I'm just failing at this. I didn't read the right passage. Uh, my kid uh, was picking their nose the entire time, and, and all this was happening, and one kid fell off the bed and hit their head, and so I just got to quit. The enemy wants us to quit, and the world wants us to quit. We don't want to continue in doing these things because they're difficult, they're hard, but that's the more reason to do them. Thankfully, I've really seen that the more important thing was to really just to make it simple, make it regular, open up God's word or a helpful book, read it, ask a couple of questions to the kids. Um, you know, a lot of people say that COVID was awful, a lot of bad things came out of COVID, and that's true, but there were a lot of blessings that came out of uh, the last couple of years. One of those specifically was the opportunity I don't say opportunity, was the reality that we shut down children's ministry downstairs. We weren't meeting. So that forced me to come in and say, all right, um, we're going to record videos and send them to families, let them watch it on YouTube. I'm going to encourage families, send out devotional stuff or say, hey, why don't you get this book to do with your family at home? And part of that was me just going through three simple things. We're going to pray. We're going to sing, and we're going to read. Three things. Pray, sing, and read. Those are really all you need for that family devotion time. And it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be, well, Charles Spurgeon had a lot of really good kid stuff. But you don't have to be this 50-minute exposition or hour-long thing, and your kids are falling asleep drooling. It is something that they, they will remember for a lifetime. Um, I'll recommend uh, Donald Whitney has a really great book, small book on, uh, I say small because I like really small books, um, but he has a really great book on family worship time. He goes a little bit further and more extensive. Don't get overwhelmed by that, but utilize it. Donald Whitney, uh, family worship, but I have probably 15 other books that I could recommend, but I'm not going to do that right now. I have a number of great resources for you. So you don't really have to overthink this, but just be consistent. You as a mother, as a father, just sitting your kids down, opening the word of God is really at the heart of all this. Just modeling that the word of God is something that, like Mary, we sat down in front and we listen, we pay attention to maybe thirdly this commitment to Sunday mornings and Sunday evening if you're if you're at it, well, everybody here goes to church here. So um, here we have Sunday mornings and we have Sunday evenings. Making a commitment to attend these services should be that third commitment. Um, any of these things, um, uh, uh, whether it is Sunday school, whether it is main service, whether it is a venture club or an equipping class, those should be your priorities, especially the Sunday nights that we commit to having a family gathering. And we're coming together, we're having the Lord's table, we're seeing people baptized and they're sharing their testimonies. Uh, we're seeing people coming into the body and covenant commitment services. Our children need to see those things. You need to see those things and witness those things for your own edification and for the building up of the body themselves. And it's not just about you, friends. It's also about those that you're there worshiping with. You're encouraging them even in your presence. You need to show that to your children. Um, Ephesians 4.12 um, uh, 4, says this, um, The saints of God... And this is a way of sanctifying us as we minister to each one uh, to one another. Ephesians four twelve. Um, this is the speaking of a ministry that would be um, uh, a fourth thing that would be a part of our local church. We would be blessed if if you served in children's ministry. And yes, I just took the opportunity to throw <laughs> you should serve in children's ministry in my in my lessons. But if you're not taking that opportunity to serve your body, it doesn't have to be children's ministry. It could be the safety team. It could be uh, making coffee on Sunday mornings. It could be going around checking the parking lot to make sure people aren't intruding in other people's cars. <coughs> serve the body faithfully. Show that and put that on display to your families. It is a commitment for me to be there, to be there on time, 
to be there and to be willing to serve in any capacity, that is going to speak volumes to your children, even if your children are, um, are raging monsters on a Sunday morning saying, I don't want to go. Uh, you, have to, you, you can bring them. Trust me. We can talk about that later when it comes to the disciplinarian parent. So. So, uh, lost my place. When we look at all this, we can summarize this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We could say that we must be committed to really two things. And the number one thing is that, that you have there is as that I've already given you is that is that of God the uh, the word of God that it is God's special revelations God's inspired word it is inerrant it is authoritative it contains God's will for us meaning the sum of his commands what we would call his presumptive will and how awesome it is that we as parents are not only given to be parents by God and if you are a Christian saved at um saved at this but it tells us that how we are to parent and i mean what we should what should uh, rather have uh what would we rather have a google search list of the living god or the living god would you rather have a, a google search list or would you rather have the living god the creator of all things the one who has given us his very word this is how we come to know who God is, how he thinks, and what he requires of us. And we really need to build upon this revelation, his revelation, so our presupposition is, is found in a couple of passages. 2 Timothy and 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. You, you, may, um, you may not have thought about this as a parent, but let's, let's read... It all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The man of God here would be you as a parent, bringing God's word to your children. And that good work would be the good work of raising your children. And consider Second Peter 1.3. His divine power is granted to us all things pertaining to what? Life. Meaning parenting, raising children in godliness to the knowledge of him who is called us to his own glory and to his excellence. So when we we look at this commitment, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can break it down even more by saying it is a commitment to the word of God as well as the God of the word. You know we should really develop a a big God complex as an essential means to understanding God and and live an honorable life before him. So really to have a big God complex, it means our understanding, our thoughts of God should imprint us, uh, should imprint on us a dominating influence. And this is directly linked to the word of God. And that the best way to know God is to know Jesus. And the only way to know Jesus is obviously through the written word of God. John 14, 21 says, Love is defined by obedience, but also by our love for Jesus. He must be the hub of our faith, and our life again um, uh, will be uh, our life in this Christian life is something of a way to live as a person of love. So our first commitment was was to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second commitment is to our spouse. And this is a distant second in relationship. So commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, we talked about the Word of God, the God of the Word, and now a commitment to your spouse. A commitment to your spouse. This second commitment is to your spouse, and this is a distant second. Your relationship with uh, with Christ um, is far more important than with your spouse, and you only worship the Lord together, husband and wife. You do worship God now before um, 
uh, we start, I realize that, that some of you out there may not be married yet. Some of you even may be uh, married to an unbeliever. But uh, for you, it might be a discouraging thing to hear that the ideal home begins with a Christ-centered marriage. But not, don't despair. The situation is not hopeless as long as even one parent will undertake the task to raise their children and nurture in the admonition of the Lord. And maybe uh, this may be a difficult thing for a whole host of reasons, but it is not hopeless because God himself is there to fill the need and he has not forgotten those single parents and children that come from broken homes. Psalm 68 verse 5 says that he's the father of the fatherless, the defender of the widow. Uh, it is Psalm 146 verse 9 that says he is the Lord who watches over the strangers. He released the fatherless and the widow. Um, so single parents can draw on this, on his loving kindness and they can take refuge in his immeasurable goodness. That may not pertain to any of you tonight. But you may be ministering to a single parent one of these days. I hope that would be. Um, Psalm, Psalm 68, verse 5, and Psalm 146, verse 9. So the ideal design for families, uh, though, involves both a father and a mother, an archetypical uh, family portrayed. And in Scripture, this involves both parents doing their part in submission to God driven to work together by a mutual commitment to each other with a deep Christ-centered love. That the, that's, that's really the glue that holds all together. So the Bible assumes that a two-parent home is, is what we're going to be focusing on. And this is the focus and the foundation of the biblical model, home. So in our, our progression of parental commitments, we have God's design for the family is that it is first to be Christ-centered and then marriage-centered. It is to be Christ-centered and then marriage-centered. Well, when, um, uh, when, you, when you look at this, you know, what do we mean uh, when, uh, when you're looking at the center, uh, when, you're, when you're looking at uh, a child-centered home, as opposed to a marriage-centered home. There's all kinds of relationship clashes that will come together as your, as your life revolving around the activities of your children, are they re- revolving around the relationships of your children, and most importantly, their interests, their desires, their attitudes, they really tend to set the family relationship even in a marriage-centered home. There is... Uh, the husband and wife relationship taking priority over all other relationships in the home. And the parents, not the children, determine the family agenda. So an example of this might be uh, uh, you decide that, hey, we're going to eat out tonight as a family. And, and you say, all right, kids, what do you want to eat? That's your problem, number one. Um, and you're thinking, well, uh, well, I... Uh, um, I, I want to eat, and I want my kids to eat, and sometimes they won't eat the things that we get them, uh, so we can talk about that another time too. But, um, but maybe it's your kid saying, oh, I want McDonald's, and another one says, I want a Mexican, and I want pizza, and all this is going on. So then you're going as a father, and you're carting all of your kids around all these places because that's what Joey and Susie and Sally want. My kids have never done that, and um, I'm lying there. But, um, but pretty much, I can say we've, we've not really done that whole game of going from here and there and everywhere. Um, but that is not, that would be a child-centered home where so-and-so wants this, so-and-so wants that. Or, or so-and-so wants to watch this on TV, and so that's what we watch. Well, Susie wants to watch this. Everything is revolving around that. Or, or Tommy has this activity going on, and mom and dad really have to go to this other event. And the child takes priority over and over and over again. The schedule revolves around this activity, this sporting event, this club event that they have to meet at. This is a child-centered home. The first commitment is supposed to be to your spouse when we look at this commitment to your spouse we want to look at the commitment that god has in in mind for your spouse 
This, this is followed up by a commitment to the uniqueness of your marriage relationship. The uniqueness of your marriage relationship. As you can see, or as, as you have heard, um, this is defined in a number of ways. It's, it's an exclusive um, leaving of our parents, including our spouse relationship. In Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. It's also a covenant relationship. Malachi uh, 2.13-16 through 16 in part says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord. And verse 16 essentially says that you don't have an option to opt out. This is a serious covenant in your spouse, um, with your spouse relationship. It's a permanent and primary relationship. It's also an intimate physical relationship that we can see from Proverbs 5.15 through 19. In other words, God has physically created us for our spouse. And no other friendship or parent-child relationship shares any of those characteristics. It is unique in the very essence of that, that word, that we are committed to our spouse because it is uniquely designed and required by God. It's also a picturesque relationship illustrating Christ's relationship with the church. And we see that in, in, uh, right in Ephesians 5.23-33. And it's worth taking some time here and looking at that closely uh, with the passage. I'm running out of time, and Adventure Club workers are really going to kick me if, if I don't get, get their parents over there. So let's, let's quickly look at this. Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the w- word, so that he might present picture, uh, present. The picture of to himself as splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Blemish, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Who who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. It's just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband so paul's instructions to husbands inefficient are are are, are uh, Paul's, Paul's instructions to hum, husbands are simple. Love your wives, love them as Christ loved the church, cherish them with honor, protect and serve them, lead them. You are the head of the wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. And Christ's love for the church is the pattern for the husband's love of the wife. Now marriage is really a reflection of the gospel. And when you pick that up, Uh, In this passage, it is a reflection of the divine relationship between Christ and the church. And it's an earthly representation of of that which takes place. And it makes it a beautiful, holy, and awesome something that can be beautifully glorifying God. It's an earthly rendering of a spiritual reality that's that's a lot better than the earthly one that that Christ uh, and Christ is the rightful leader. And, and ruler of everything, yet he uh, loves us, he has given humility, and he took that servant's role, he washed his disciples' feet, and that man is our role model. That, that man is the one that we should be following after. With that responsibility, with that service, we are actively to love and to serve our wives. What kind of love is that? Well, let's look at a few ways. As I've said already, it's sacrificial. It's the same kind of love that Christ gave for the church. What kind of love is that? Verse 25, he gave himself up for her, John 15, 13. It says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Now, some of, some of you may say, thinking, okay, but I'm the head of the household the Bible also says, "Why, uh, wives, you are to submit yourselves to your husbands. And, well, if you demand that of your wives, husbands, you are also willing to fulfill 
the demands in the other verses, 25 through 35. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, wives are our spiritual equal, our fellow heirs of grace, of life, not our personal slaves. In some cases, be honest, guys. Wives aren't, are quite frankly more wise and more knowledgeable than you as husbands. And yet God has ordained that the man be the head. And the reason for this divine order is because the wife in that passage, as it is says, is the weaker vessel and the husband. Therefore, uh, because of that sure sacrifice and protection, the wife does not automatically owe him servile deference. In other words, as far as husbands are concerned, the headship role should be really seen as something that carries a greater responsibility, not a greater privilege. And at the heart of the biblical concept of headship is a willing, willingness to sacrifice one's own privileges. And by serving your wife, you will give her privilege. And this will flow out of submitting to one another. And the spiritual husband loves his wife for what he can do for her, not for what she could do for him. It's that it's, this is Christ's love for the church. He loves us not because we're any more lovable, nor have we done anything that deserves Christ's love, but he predetermined his love to us, and he did that sacrificially. That means you can't fall out of love. You can't fall out of this kind of love. It's not an involuntary feeling but a voluntary devotion. It's an active love. It's also a purifying love you see in Ephesians 5 passage. Christ wants to clothe the church in purified glorious splendor. He gave his life that we might have his holiness and virtue, that we might be sanctified. So so men, if, if we are truly to love our wives, her purity must be of our utmost concern. If you really love your wife, You'll hate anything that would defile her. So keep her away. Uh, Keep her away. Keep her safe from anything that would would threaten this or steal her purity. Don't be rude or crass around her. Set, Set her apart. Set her high above on a pedestal to keep her away from impurity. So so we serve in a priestly role in this way as the head of the home. And part of the role is to guard our wives' purity as we move through these verses. Verse, 30, verse 28 through 30, we see that the husbands love also as a caring love. So the spirit-filled husband is to, uh, is, uh, is to love and is, is supposed to love out of obedience to his commitment to his master and his love. To satisfy her to do and say what would bring her joy. All of this obviously has to, has to be done with obedience and done with honesty and integrity, but do bring her joy. It may, be most, uh, it may be most importantly the things you don't say that will make her most content. Did you get that? It may be most importantly the things you don't say that make her most content. In other words, don't revile back. You know the Bible is full of exhortations to submit fellow saints to the government. Uh, or we are to submit to those in authority, uh, the church leaders, and to God himself. Submission is seen here in this passage and as husbands. Uh, quite frankly, flat out, humility is thinking of your wife more important than yourself. All of what we've discussed regarding relationship really is humility. And husbands are the example here the example is christ christ who humbly uh, who humbled himself by beating uh, by being beaten to the point of cr- the death on the cross even the death of the cross so if you want joy in your household it will cost you submission it will cost you everything in this life one thing that um uh, macarthur wrote that is helpful is the husband who allows his wife's needs to go unmet will soon feel the pain of it, and rightfully so. 
So if you want happiness, harmony in your marriage, then treat your wife as well as you treat yourself, verses 28 through 29 says. So we are also, the apostles, says Paul, says there, um, we are to nourish, we are to cherish her. That's the same word there, uh, to nourish. Uh, bringing up children later in the passage, uh, he uses that same word in, in chapter 6. Husbands are called to nurture and to feed their wives, to bring them to the maturity in a way similar to how parents nourish and care for their children. And this suggests that, that he is to provide for her and needs to feed her both spiritually and literally and help her come to spiritual maturity. So this underscores both our responsibility to be the breadwinner and especially our responsibility to take the role of spiritual leader in the fair and in the family. So cherish literally means here to, to warm with body heat. It emphasizes the intimacy, the tenderness of husbands, the husband's duty to the wife. So the meaning of, of love here is summed up in the submission in this manner of love. It, it is sacrifice defined by Christ. It is self-giving love for his church. And the motive is its sacredness as it's compared to the church. So marriage is a sacred institution and union. 1 Peter 3.7 teaches that a, husband, uh, a husband's prayers will be hindered if he does not dwell with his wife according to knowledge. So, men, if you don't learn about your wife, if you don't want to know how to lead her and how to love her, there will be consequences. And if you don't lead the family, your wife or your children will fill the vacuum with something else. And that void, if you don't love your wife, her submission Quite frankly, it's, it's going to be forced. It's going to be joyless. But if, if you are abiding in those things, you will be blessed in your obedience, James one twenty five says. And we'll repeat that several times in this lesson. Children are looking at how you treat your mother or their mother and how you are treating them. Listen to this. Jay Adams says, uh, has a great quote. He says, the best way to be a good father to your children is to be a good husband to their mother. The best way to be a good father to your children is to be a good husband to their mother. Well, I bet you didn't think that um, you were actually coming to a marriage seminar uh, when you came to a Parenting for Life class, but but evidently it has and, and, and uh, become that. And let's turn our attention now to to the wife and um, how the wife is to be an honor to, to help her and homemakers. Uh, so, so as we have already observed in Ephesians 5.25, husbands and wives, we are all believers, are to submit themselves to one another, right? This, this submission, that's a big thing that uh, there's also a, a spiritual equality between husbands and wives in marriage. However, this spiritual equality doesn't eliminate, eliminate eliminate the need for an authorian, authoritarian strike upon the structure of the family. Your husband as the Lord of the, hus- or as the, Lord of the house, that is not something that, uh, that we have to go at right now. Well, a word of wisdom from, um, uh, from uh, the book that I had recommended uh, at the beginning. It says this, The man who is not interested in his wife's opinion on all such matters that come up in your family is foolish and uncaring as a husband. But again, we understand that the final decision on lots of things in your, in your home, it is ultimately going to be the prerogative of him. It is the one, he, because he is the one who is accountable to God for the stewardship of his family. And so essentially what we're saying is that men, give attention to your wife, listen to her, um, understand, uh, understand, I missed a lot of stuff there, sorry. Uh, understand where she is and understand her wisdom and understanding of all the things that are going on in your home. Don't neglect that, but wives also understand that your husband is the one who is ultimately accountable to God for the stewardship of the family. So men, do you, you do have the responsibility to exercise headship in the home and in the church. However, the man's authority is not the right to rule 
but the responsibility to, to serve, again, mutual submission. So why does the wife submit? Well, I've, I've already seen uh, that marriage is a picture. It's an object lesson about Christ and the church. And, and as I said, as, as such, it's a sacred picture. A woman who refuses to submit to her husband corrupts the meaning of the divine institution. In addition, the woman submitting to her husband is established in the order of creation. It's the natural and proper order of things. Women were created for men. Here is the point. Eve was created to be a helper to Adam, to keep him company, to support and encourage him, to work alongside of him. And she was created for the express purpose of being his wife and his helpmeet not to pursue an agenda independent of his own or of her own. In order, in other words, she complimented Adam, and as in you as a wife compliment your husband. Eve was God's gracious gift to Adam, and her role as his wife was a token of the marvelous grace of God to man. And even now, a woman's submission to her husband is a wonderful expression of divine grace. And don't you want to be in that role if you, if you um, are a wife or you have a wife? If you abandon this role, it's really like stealing God's grace from the family. And this is where your views of God is like uh, the way the church submits to Christ. That is the, the, the love for him as a primary motive behind all obedience the wife is not the husband's flunky any more than the church is supposed to cower and grovel before Christ. Her submission calls for a willing and agreeable heart. And she should follow her husband because of her deep love. And again, this is a willful and determined love for him, just as the church follows Christ. Out of the same type of love for him, in addition, she should obey her husband because he is her head just as Christ is the head of the church. The wife who willingly and lovingly responds to her husband leadership with such a spirit honors the Lord, and that's the big picture behind this, uh, this honor. This honor. The, uh, this honors the Lord as well as her husband. Her children, it will honor them. Her church, it will honor the, uh, the church, and it will bring honor even to herself. So the wife's submission from Ephesians 5.24 is as the church is subject to Christ so that the wives, wives are to be submissive and submit to their own husbands in everything. And Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. And this is the extent of how far do I need to submit in all ways that are fitting. Proverbs 14.1 teaches that a wife is tearing down her house if she acts foolishly. So ladies, let me ask you some questions, maybe some admonitions to you. If you don't honor your husband by following him, your children may not learn how to follow you or others if you don't help him, um, him, your husband, by giving wise input and then carrying out the course as he has said, and you were tearing down your house the scriptures say, with your own hands. As Proverbs uh, 14.1 says, And if you don't keep your home, you cause, according to Titus 2.5, in a way that pleases the Lord, your husband, you are tearing down your house. But again, James 1.25 says, If you are abiding in these things, you will be blessed. So by submitting yourself to your husband as his wife, you are putting yourself in the place of blessing. Your marriage is really the greatest opportunity you'll have to teach your children what you really believe about submission, authority, friendship, and affection, and love. This is why we're talking about this marriage and the importance of the marriage. You are going to teach your children about all of these realms simply by how you treat one another and how you defer to one another, how you submit to one another, how you love or how you don't do those things. Listen, we're going to say this a lot in this study, in this series. More is caught than taught in the family life. You teach by your life. 
you teach by your life. So be consistent with the word and what you know now know and have always and have always known about Ephesians 5, there is to be a consistency with the word in your life. We're looking at a series of commitments today and 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 that next commitment is to your family or a commitment to stewardship and to d- discipline over your children. So we are all stewards of these things that God has given to us. And we're going to talk about them even further as we progress in the next few weeks. But in other words, we are to teach diligently so God, um, we are to teach diligently through our lives and through the expression of even our theology and our knowledge of who God is. You have a ministry right here in your home. What kind of steward are you? What kind of steward of the truth are you and what kind of effect do you have upon discipling your own children through the way you interact with one another? It is, it is an effective discipleship. It is a, a discipleship of real faith. Is it sincere or is it fake? Is it hypocritical? Your children will sniff it out. They know the difference. One way or another, you're going to impact them and it's, it's going to be tremendous. And it's going to be for life. That's why we call this parenting for life. We are called by God to be co-heirs by God's grace. And we're blessed in that that way. But those of us who are married are additionally, uh, we, we are complicating things often with the errors of our own indifference, the errors of our own sinfulness and our own selfishness. One writer said, and we'll finish with this, let's thank God every day for our children, even on those hard days where we find the blessing amidst the chaos, count every blessing that comes as a parent. Let it fill us with one, or, or that the, the Lord of the universe has given to us the privilege of having these little souls in our care. What a blessing. Think of that, he says. Think of that uh, of what may even get us out of this fetal position at times where we are before them and we are crouching and we don't have any, any other hope. God is going to be generous and gracious to us. Let us thank the Lord for those blessings because he's teaching us even who we are and reminding us of our need for him. Let's go ahead and finish with prayer. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the realities that you've given us all that we need for this life in your word. I pray that you'll help us in the coming weeks to understand these truths even better. Help us to submit our authority unto you uh, so that we are not overcome by um, our own uh, willfulness, our own knowledge of what we desire and want. And Lord, that we would submit to one another knowing that our marriage are are really the, um, the main places that we need to start at. Um, but, Lord, not even just in our own marriages, but, uh, but ultimately our, our relationship with you, that where we are with you is going to even dictate um, what, we are, what we are like as a parent. For we are no, no better a parent than we are a spouse, than we are a child of God. Help us to, to live that truth out, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you guys have your information written down, um, we'll send, I'll send you that additional info tonight.